0: Welcome, I'm so glad to see every one of you. And I am deeply uh, comforted that I didn't have a disclaimer at the beginning of my introduction. This is a day when we're inviting an accreditation uh, team to join with us in worship. And I was kind of wondering if Stuart would say, the views and opinions expressed by this preacher do not necessarily reflect the theological position of ADC. She's Irish, forgive her. So I come into full confidence and I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to see all of you. And it is true uh, when Stuart said that he had to convince me uh, to come. And it's not because I didn't want to be with all of you. And it's not even because I didn't want to preach online, although I've never done it before. And I feel like a fish out of water. But when he asked me first to come preach, it was in December and I was in an absolute dark place. It was a horrible year. Starting back even before COVID in February, this year has been miserable. I don't know. Uh, You're all on gallery view. I see all of you. (laughs) I took myself out of the picture because I didn't want to stare at myself. The psychology of that's so strange. Uh, Anybody ever read the kid's book or have it read to you, Alexander and the Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? Yeah. Do you have there's some, some kids of the 80s? <laughs> I mean, that was my year. It's, it's been miserable on so many different levels. Not to compare that to other people's versions of misery, but for me in my own life, this has been the worst year ever. And when Stuart first asked me to preach in December, I said no immediately. I didn't think about it. I didn't pray about it. I didn't consider it. I wrote back no. And then I gave some sort of excuse, you know, being busy and all of that. Uh, but it was because I felt no good news to share. Have you ever been in that spot? Many of you are preachers. Uh, have you ever been in that place where you just feel in the pit? Like, what could I possibly say for this people, for this group that I love? And so he he wrote back, I don't know, days later. He said, well, how about March? It was like he was looking down into Job's pit. He's like, well, how, how about in March? And I said, well, you know, yes, only because I thought, well, in March, surely I'll feel better by then. Here we are. The time just goes by and I still feel like I'm in this sort of deep, um, difficult place. So I wanted to talk to you about the aspect of life and living that I feel the most difficult right now because I find that uh, the most interesting Um, to be able to share, because what I hear from other people is that this is a very difficult time for a lot of people. So today, as you saw in the introduction, I'm speaking about hope. This isn't something that I've ever, you know how preachers, you normally have like a theme of the type of things that you speak about. I would say generally I speak on love. That's my go-to theme, you know, every funeral, no matter what scripture I go to, it all comes down to love. It all comes down to love. That's been my go-to, you know, for the last, uh, you know, five years has been all about love. But today I'm talking about hope. Hope to me, previous to this year, didn't have a strong uh, weight to it. The word itself. In my mind, the word hope was a lightweight word. (laughs) It was a, a cream puff word. It was a dinky word. It was a word that you'd put on a coffee cup. Can you picture that coffee cup, sort of like in black scroll, hope? Maybe it would be a lavender coffee cup. Lavender, the the worst color in the whole wide world. You know, that was what came to mind on the word hope. Because I had bought in to a worldly, worldly definition of the word. If you look up in the dictionary, I got a dictionary. My daughter asked for a dictionary for her birthday. She's a total nerd. So I got her the Canadian Dictionary of Current English, and I looked up the word hope. And this is exactly how I thought of the word, which is why I didn't give it any weight. In the dictionary, the the definition of the word hope is shades of uncertainty associated with a desired outcome, akin to wishful thinking. And so it is a nice word it is a gentle word. It is an unprovocative word. And in my mind, it just had no weight. However, in this year, I have been digging into what a biblical definition of hope is. And it is so far removed from that worldly definition that like, you can't even put them in the same category. Uh, all right, uh, I'll throw out my Greek. Uh, the Greek word for hope is elipiso. I always feel like if you say Greek words with an Italian accent, it it gives some sort of uh, credibility. So the word, the Greek word for hope, it means confident expectation, solid assurance. Today, going through the scriptures, what I hope to provide you with is to go through a biblical understanding of what hope is so that we can have a framework to stand on in the day of difficulty. A biblical understanding of hope recognizes the substantial present difficulty of living. It's tied to theology of faith. You think of that Corinthians verse, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The word hope is very closely tied into the word faith. And I'd like to talk about some misguided common mistakes about what we think hope is and and hopefully an encouragement for your uh, for your present need, whatever it is. I appreciate how Melody framed that prayer and I entered into it about the many different ways that we're experiencing difficulty right now. The Old Testament is a wonderful um, balm. For those who are suffering, there is the Western culture (laughs) does not know how to suffer, does not want to suffer and wants to put suffering as far away uh, from their lives as possible. The Hebrews knew how to enter into suffering into a very deep way. So I'd like to read some verses from the Hebrew scriptures to help us understand how they saw hope. The first scripture I'm going to read is from Jeremiah, and uh, lifting up from chapter 8, verse 18. Oh, my comforter in sorrow, my heart is faint within me. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn and horror grips me is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why is there no healing for the wound of my people? Jeremiah is talking from the deepest point of uh, despair, where Jerusalem has been totally destroyed. And so you hear his language carrying on into the book of Lamentations, which is uh, such a call of despair. In verse 2, Jeremiah says, My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. Um, In verse 18, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Arise, cry out into the night. And and he talks about lifting up his heart. And in verse 3, he says, I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. That he has turned his hand against me. He goes on and on. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. <laughs> Anyone feeling the burn? I'm feeling the, <laughs> the 40s burn. of feeling my flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me, surrounded me, bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. And it he goes on and on and on and on and on. Do you have a friend like that? That goes on and on and on about how miserable they are. Uh, Jeremiah is talking about how absolutely deprived he is. He has broken my teeth with gravel and trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I hope from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Going even further back into the book of Job, we've heard the story of Job, you know how miserable and depressing it is as he goes through all of his sufferings. I, I, there once was a pastor who was doing a series on Job for the summer, and I thought, that is ill-advised. That's the least like summer scripture series I've ever heard, because it is absolute uh, torture. And Job is saying, all the nights are misery to me. How long before I get up? Is what he's thinking when he lays down. Uh, And I appreciated that. He knew what it was to suffer. But hear Job's words on this talking about being shrouded in pain, being uprooted. He has forgotten me. Oh, I love this. Job chapter 19, verse 17. Even my breath is offensive to my wife. That's like an isolation scripture, right there, right? you don't get any worse than that. All my friends detest me. The ones I love turn against me. But he says in verse 23, oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead and engraved in a rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. Lastly, the last scripture I'm going to read from our Hebrew teachers is from Ecclesiastes. This is an encouraging sermon, I promise you, reading from (laughs) Lamentations and Job and Ecclesiastes. You know, Ecclesiastes, it goes on and on. There is nothing, everything in this life is meaningless. Um, there's another verse on the same page. I have it highlighted. I always wanted to use this verse. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I always wanted to use this verse at a wedding. In fact, I will pay anyone in this group five bucks if they use this as your wedding benediction. It's so good. It's nine verse nine of Ecclesiastes. And it says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life God has given you isn't that good? And it goes on to say, uh, whatever your, your hands find to do, do it with all your might for in the grave is where you are going. <laughs> it's chipper. So here's what Ecclesiastes. So this is, this is somebody who understands suffering. And even the author of Ecclesiastes says, anyone who is among the living has hope. Anyone who is among the living has hope for even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. The word of the Lord for us as people. So the Hebrew authors understood what it was to suffer and understood what it was to have hope. This is very different than our definition of shades of uncertainty akin to wishful thinking. That isn't what hope is about. So hope isn't being chipper. <laughs> you can hear that from those authors. Uh, hope isn't thinking things are going to get better. You can hear that all of those authors are, are really saying things are probably going to get worse. <laughs> hope isn't naive optimism. So if you're an optimist, hands up if you're an optimist. Is anybody here like just innately sunny? You know, you're going to see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the rest of us wonder about you. Um, So if you're an optimist, it's having the attitude that things are going to get better. You know, tomorrow, the sun will come out. (laughs) Uh, Those are the optimistic people. Um, The war will soon be over. Uh, The vaccine, once we're all vaccinated, we'll be able to return to normal life, Uh, my wounds are going to heal, the cancer treatments are going to work, the epidemic will stop. Those are all optimistic perspectives and that's fine. They can be right, they can be wrong, but that isn't what hope is. Hope isn't thinking someday things are going to get better. Our Hebrew teachers, they instruct us that we don't have to be optimists, to have hope. We can believe that things are going to get absolutely worse and still have hope. In fact, a biblical understanding of hope frees us from having to predict the future at all. It allows us to let go of those things that we're clinging on to to happen in order for us to be hopeful. It allows us to live in our troubles. It allows us to live in the depression in the destruction, in the disruption, in the trust that we are not alone. In fact, not only not alone, but deeply loved, that we are loved in the pit. Looking in a Bible dictionary, in the Erdman's Bible dictionary, I appreciated this line. It said, uh, yet for hope to be genuine and not foolishness or presumption, it must be grounded in God and in God's promises. So I thought it was appropriate just to look for a second about what God does promise. And more specifically, what he doesn't promise. Throughout the scriptures, it's very clear what God doesn't promise. In Isaiah chapter 32, verse 9, Isaiah says, you women. (laughs) Just a tip, Isaiah. (laughs) The modern reader doesn't appreciate being called you women. (laughs) Anyway, there he is. You women who are so complacent, rise up and listen to me. You daughters who feel secure, hear what I have to say. And then he goes on through Isaiah to say, you can't be secure in your livelihood. You can't be secure in the harvest. You can't know what God is going to provide. It is not promised to you. In Psalm 52, The psalmist talks about how you cannot have (laughs) faith in your finances or in money. It says, 52 verse 7, here is a man who did not make his stronghold, God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth. We are not promised a livelihood. We are not promised wealth. Jeremiah talks that we are not promised friends or friendship. In fact, he says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength. We are not promised all of those things that are the typical things we hope for. You know, those are the things we hope for. I hope I get this job. I hope I get this promotion. I hope that people like me. I hope that, you know, that this works out well. Those are the things we typically hope for. And none of those are promised biblically. So what does God promise? And and always Psalm 23 has been such a minister to me over uh, my lifetime. It goes deeper and deeper and deeper every time I I say it at every funeral. Uh, What are we promised? We are promised guidance. We are promised direction. We are promised rest. We are promised peace and presence. We are promised to be anointed. We are promised eternal protection. So hope is... (laughs) So that's what hope isn't. It's not wishful thinking. It's not naive optimism. It's not for stuff or for pleasure or for the things in front of you. And this, this is my point. So if you've drifted off, this is the time. (laughs) This this is the one thing you can hear. (laughs) Hope is. So in that verse from Corinthians, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. We know that God is Love, God is uh, love. Is the face of God. Uh, Love is the source of life. Love is like our sun. And hope is a theology of orientation. If love is the face of God, then hope is a positioning and a looking. An alignment into the face of God. And that's what hope is. It's not turning towards, I hope for this in this world. I hope for this in my life. I hope from this, from this people, but it's a theology of orientation. In the Psalms, it says, Why are you downcast? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Hope is a positioning, an orientation to the face of God. And when we have that orientation, when we have that alignment, then that hope looking into the face of love, then that offspring is gratitude and mindfulness. The offspring of hope is awareness and then compassion so that no matter what is happening in the world, in the trouble, in the difficulty, if we are oriented towards the light of love, we can receive God's presence. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? So through the New Testament, we hear over and over, be joyful in hope, it says in Romans. In Thessalonians, um, 1 Thessalonians 5.8, it says, put on, uh, wear hope of salvation as a helmet. And 1 Peter 3.15, share our hope with others. So to look at the verse from Jesus that was read from uh, John 16. Jesus in this verse sums up his whole mission very succinctly from Christmas to Easter. And he sums it all up and he lays it all out for the disciples and they don't get it. (laughs) and they say we don't get it and he does it again you know it's like okay here it is and they say what are you talking about (laughs) and then he says again uh this is what I'm here to do and he's like okay everyone you know simple words everyone listen and then finally I love it the disciples are like oh we get it and Jesus is like you believe at last (laughs) can you hear his like relief like oh like (laughs) amazing okay hold on you believe at last and in that excitement uh, he gives him this final word and this is his leaving statement and it's so good Uh, he's saying I'm giving you this so that you will have peace and (laughs) John Campbell this is for you I uh I could have learned how to do screen things. What is that, Prezi? I could have learned a new skill today and I chose specifically not to. So I have written out for you your verse. So imagine this is like an animation. Here's your verse of the day. If you were all here in the room, I'd make y'all say it together. I might even cover up some of the words so that you, Do you remember doing that? So, this is the verse of the day. This is Jesus's words In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You can hear that Hebrew acknowledgement of trouble, the real present difficulty. He doesn't shy away from it. I appreciate that he doesn't say, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, it will get better. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he doesn't even pretend. He's like, and it'll probably get worse. Uh, the real substantial difficulty. In this world, you will have trouble. So here's your little bit of grammar <laughs> for the day. Right down here, my next screen. This oh, i got to find my word. This little word right here. I have overcome the wor- world. That little bit of grammar is important. Uh, If you were to look up like in a, um, you know, like a word dictionary, this word would have a P-fan, right? Er P-fan means perfect, active, indicative. The perfect, I remember uh, Glenn Wooden explaining this to me in Greek 101, 21 years ago. Perfect means a past action with abiding results. Jesus has overcome the world. The past action and the results of that are true and new every single morning. It's also written in the active tense. That means the actions being carried out by the subject. That means Jesus. It's Jesus that has overcome the world. World, world, and the last part of that, the indicative, it's a, a mood of assertion. So it means that the um, the person who's speaking, it is truth for them. So Jesus is saying with absolute truth, I have overcome the world. And that little bit above it, next slide. Can you see this? Is this backwards? Does this work? <laughs> it's terrible. I can learn new things. Uh, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. This little bit right here, take heart is PAM, present, active, imperative. The present means Jesus is saying take heart right now in the situation that you are in right now. This is the no matter what little bit. This is for all people, little bit. This isn't when things feel better, When the thing comes, this is right now, take heart. That's the present. Now, it's also an active meaning us. We're the ones who need to take heart and it's imperative. And you know that imperative is a command. And the intensity of that command increases with the, uh, it's based on the authority of the speaker and who's speaking but Jesus. Jesus is commanding us, take heart. And the word there used is tharseo. If you're looking up, your, if you're reading along in your Greek Bible, tharseo, when you think of the thoracic cavity, like it actually means take heart. It means literally have courage. The, the word courage is French, uh, cour, uh, the heart, the blood. Uh, to be encouraged means to take heart. The, the word encouraged is a military term. These aren't light and fluffy words to be written on lavender mugs. This is to encourage someone is to yell in a military way, take heart, be encouraged, encourage. (laughs) When you're in the middle of misery, that's a very powerful thing and a very powerful thing to hear from Jesus. Be courageous. So that is is how we can say, along with Paul, when he wrote in 2 Timothy 1.12, this is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have, I want to say, believed, right? (laughs) You sing it with, I know whom I have believed, and, and convinced that he who is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. The world wants to define hope by being akin to wishful thinking. May you on this day be grounded to know the essential confident expression of hope and the solid assurance of Christ. I'll close with that hymn and this is the words uh, bubbled up from the hymn Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May you take courage this day.